Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Well, Our Lady intervenes in the course of human history to orientate people towards a particular devotion. Uh, And there may be reasons for that particular devotion that we have yet to understand. Today, March 25th, Friday, the Feast of the Annunciation, Pope Francis is consecrating Russia and the Ukraine. This happened before when Pope St. John Paul II consecrated Russia in 1984 on the exact same day. The request to do this comes from Our Lady of Fatima back in 1917. Mariologist and Fatima expert William A. Thomas explains what all of this means on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who have thought a lot about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. And I hope this format, in dialogue and back and forth, may help us approach the truth and have a great time doing it. If you'd like to take the conversation further, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today's guest is Dr. William A. Thomas. He was born in Ireland of Welsh parents. He holds a doctorate in sacred theology from the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. He worked in the Vatican in the Apostolic Palace as the English secretary to Bishop Petrus Canisius Jean van Leerde, who was vicar general for John Paul II. Dr. Thomas is a member of the Pontifical Marian Academy and director of the St. John Paul II Institute of Marian Studies. He has published over 2,000 articles on the Blessed Virgin Mary and related devotional articles. His recent book, Fatima, O Fatima, is available online and takes the reader through the events of the Marian apparitions at that Portuguese town 105 years ago. Dr. Thomas participated in the Spanish-language dramatic docu-fiction film Fatima the Ultimate Mystery, and I'm calling it docu-fiction because it follows a a fictional film editor in her family life as she works on a documentary film about Fatima, which is the recounting of the apparitions at Fatima through narrative summary and expert interviews. And Dr. Thomas is one of the expert Mariologists interviewed for the film. As I just want to add, so was Robert Fastigi, who was a guest on this program a month ago. It is a great honor to speak with you, Dr. Thomas, one of the foremost experts on Catholic Mariology and the apparition of Fatima, and doubly so because we're recording on March 24th, 2022, and tomorrow, March 25th, Pope Francis is going to consecrate Russia and Ukraine as Our Lady asked at Fatima a century ago, and also as his great predecessor, St. John Paul II, did in 1984, before the fall of communism. So welcome, sir. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be with you today, and let me begin by saying something in Polish. Something I learned from Pope John Paul every day when I met him. We would uh, exchange this greeting. 
That's, that is beautiful. Uh, and that often appears in um, sort of early modern uh, Polish fiction as a, as a greeting. You would enter into a room, you'd get off your horse and you'd walk into the castle and you'd say, niech będzie pochwalony Jezus Christus, may, may um, Jesus our Lord be praised. And then the second person would reply, na wieki wieków, amen, which is, um, so that's a beautiful thing and, and very historically apt. <laughs> yes. Would you tell us what the Holy Father Pope Francis will do tomorrow and the origins of this of this act? Well, uh, Pope Francis will consecrate uh, Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. He does so in response to the invitation by the Ukrainian Latin Rite bishops in the call for peace. Peace has been entrusted to Our Lady. She says so in Fatima, that the peace of the world was given to her, and so the Pope will make this appeal. Now, the question might be asked is, will this, it's not a magic formula. I hope people don't consider it to be. Uh, but it's a, an, an entrustment, what they call in Italian, un affidimento to entrust to her the plea of humanity to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, calling for peace. So what he will do is, uh, it's rather a long prayer. He does mention Russia and Ukraine in it. As I said, it's not a magical formula. It's an appeal to God to grant peace in that region. So that's what he will do. <clears throat> Yeah, and this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, John Paul II did it in 1984. And I think I'm trying to remember from, from your book, Fatima o Fatima, and also from your film, Fatima, the Ultimate Mystery. The first time it was, it took a long time for this to happen. There were s several attempts. And sometimes the, the fact that not all the bishops were um, participating in it, even remotely, sort of nullified the effect but then in 1984 you're saying saint saint john paul ii did this and almost immediately or at least that year world events you know and perhaps a skeptic would say these would have happened anyway but the world started to turn in such a way where russia and the soviet well the soviet union came to an end and russia sort of woke up from from that terrible nightmare Yes, there were many attempts. Uh, the first one was Alexandrina de Costa wrote to Pope Pius XII, and he did consecrate uh, Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. He consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on two occasions, uh, the first in 1942, after which the Nazis never won another battle. It was the beginning of the end of the Second World War. Uh, but... Uh, subsequently, the Pope did consecrate also the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and uh, in 1982. And during a conversation he had with Sister Lucy, she told him that the requirement was in union with the bishops of the world. And so he promised, uh, he made two promises on the 13th of May, 1982, in Fatima. Uh, he promised that he would consecrate the world as soon as was possible. And that was 1984, as you correctly say, the 25th of March. Uh, and he would beatify uh, Jacinta and Francisco Marto as soon as was possible. 
And that also happened. So the consecration was made. Many people have said the consecration was not valid, but as we are at pains to point out, the only authority to assess whether something is valid or not is the Pope and the protagonist or nuncio of Fatima, namely Sister Lucy. And she said, heaven accepted it. Now, many people came out afterwards, Father Gruner, Father Kramer, Father Gobi, Father this, Father that, and said it wasn't done. They are not an authority on this matter. I think people need to realize the only authority is the Pope, John Paul, and he was foreseen in 1917, three years before he was born. And Sister Lucy, who after a period of prayer said, heaven has accepted that apparition. The other cr critique uh, of the consecration was Russia was not mentioned by name. Well, the fact of it is that the name Russia had been uh, subverted into what they call the Union of the Soviet Socialist Republics, of which there are 22 of them. And so the USSR uh, was the name of that place. Uh, it was no longer known as Russia. And therefore, there was pointless mentioning that. Besides, in my book, The Errors of Russia, which I explain explicitly, uh, spread to the whole world <clears throat> and brought with it the Antichrist of atheism. So let's go back. The Sister Lucy is, one, is the surviving member of the three poor shepherds. Two, two girls and a boy who saw Correct. Our Lady in 1917. And if Correct. listeners think 2022 is a bad year, they only have to project themselves back to a time when the whole world was at war, when uh, the communist revolution was happening in Russia, right before the, the influenza pandemic. And yes. um, the fact that these poor, illiterate children in Portugal should happen to be the the recipients of the vision and then which happened um, six times monthly and the last time 70,000 people saw the dancing sun and they yes and two of them died quite young but one lived to be very old would you like to uh, just summarize uh, this which is also as listeners should know the topic of your book and your film Yes, uh, Sister Lucy died in 2005, 33 days before Pope St. John Paul II. There's a link between both. There certainly was a link between Jacinta Marto, who foresaw the Holy Father, had a vision of him kneeling down in tears, weeping, uh, praying, <clears throat> and many, many people outside this big house that he lived in shouting obscenities at him. And so she offered her life for him and her sufferings for him. And he, at the beatification ceremony in 2000, the year 2000, uh, at the beatification ceremony, whereby the third part of the secret was revealed, along with the interpretive text, uh, he thanked Jacinta for suffering for him to prolong and to... Uh, to uh, uh, gain great graces for his extraordinary pontificate. So Sister Lucy was the one who was entrusted by God 
to promote the devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to make her known and loved. To make her known and loved are two distinct entities. Known is the intellectual capacity to understand something of who the Virgin Mary is, the predestined one from Genesis 3.15 up to giving birth to the incarnation of God, the enfleshment of God in the birth in Bethlehem, and being at the foot of the cross to offer her son to the eternal father. And of course, we know the sword pierced her heart as the lance pierced his side, his heart. But it was not just as sometimes we think the piercing allows something to flow out. It was actually a way, a camino, an entry point to find refuge in her immaculate heart and to find refuge in the sacred heart of Jesus. So the hearts are opened. They're open to all of humanity. They're open to you and I <clears throat> to find refuge therein. She led an extraordinary life in a cloister for the most part, and she confided to writing her um, memoirs. And uh, in the memoirs, she reveals uh, some extraordinary detail. So why does God act like, act through us? God, of course, could stop a war or make all the Russians go home from Ukraine or prevent the Nazis from running amok over the world, but he chooses to act through three poor marginal children who then lead tremendous amounts of people to faith. And he asks us all to pray. He really engages us as a, as a, the whole human race in ways that are, are mysterious and roundabout and um, take a lot, lot of time and effort. How does this inform our faith? What is God up to? Well, God does as God wishes to do, and he chooses those who are humble, innocent, and without guile to convey something of an extraordinary nature that they couldn't possibly have known. For example, when the call came for the conversion of Russia, they didn't know where Russia was. They had no idea outside of, of the world, outside of the village of Al Jastral. They didn't even know the uh, explanation east, west, north, south. They only knew one day of the week, which was Sunday. And that's the day they went to the parish church. Yeah. When they were asked in the various interviews, which we have now, the critical documents, uh, they were able to say the sun where she came from where the sun was rising and uh, left, you know, in the opposite direction, so to speak, of where the sun was setting. In other words, she came from the east. And so uh, you have to look at the language as being utterly simple, unmanipulative, and therefore credible. And indeed, the church found it worthy of belief because there was even in cross-examination and there were many, many interviews that they went through. And we're fortunate to have copies of those. Uh, they either didn't answer the question, for example, they would not reveal the third part of the secret, which Lucia uh, confided to writing in 1937 and sealed it in an envelope, writing on it not to be opened until after 1960. 
And, and she said she was inspired to write such a thing. And so uh, you have a certain mystery that God uses total innocence to convey to the world the innocence of God in one sense, uh, to confound the pride, prideful people, the proud people of today. Um, you know, and so that's how he works. He works through humility. We see that with Our Lady. You know, she is, her humility is on par with God because there's not one ounce of pride within her. And so humility attracts God. And humility can be learned and it can be practiced. As if you read the lives of the saints, you'll find many of them practice humility to an heroic degree. And if you have desires to be a saint, and we're all called to these heights of holiness, certainly it's a very noble desire. But we must practice heroic virtue for a minimum of 10 years in order for the Holy See to take cognizance and be aware of the holy life uh, that we might live. The only other way, it seems to me, to be beatified or canonized is start writing. Uh, writing good spiritual books, and mm. then you leave a legacy behind you. Well, and then we, we who are not humble shepherds or humble fishermen or humble carpenters, but we sit here reading and we might have advanced degrees and we have all these conceits about our own wisdom. What can we do? We can pray the rosary, perhaps. Uh, the rosary is a great prayer of humility. It is a prayer of the incarnation in that we have the, uh, the Annunciation, which we celebrate tomorrow. We have the Visitation, the great act of charity, going to help others. Uh, the birth of our Lord, we are cognizant all the time of this incarnation at the Angelus that we say many times a day. Uh, the presentation in the temple in obedience to the law of God and the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. You know, it could be taken out of the, the works of Teresa of Avila, the interior castle, because in the depths of the soul resides the Savior, you know. And, yeah. uh, so, so these are important spiritual prayers, devotional prayers. It's very important, though, that if we want to follow true devotion to Mary, we must understand what true devotion is. And there are two elements of true devotion. One, it's interior. And number two, it's constant. In other words, it's not something euphoric. It's not something to do with emotionalism. It's not something to do with being a charismatic. It's, it has everything to do with humility, not with the self, but with the self-giving of one's time. Yeah, and the, I, I, I bring up the rosary because the, the vision, the apparition at Fatima added to the rosary there's the um, Fatima prayer that we say after each decade. Uh, oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins and save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy, which I bet was originally in Portuguese. And I don't know that one. And then I noticed that John Paul II added the, the luminous mysteries. And I always think about why are we doing this? Is it because through something physical, through something tangible, through 20 minutes of your day where you turn your thoughts to this tangible practice, you are yes. able to cultivate humility. I mean, it's very interesting to me that Pope Francis asked us all to pray the rosary for Ukraine starting on Ash Wednesday. Uh, what do you think? 
Yes. Well, I think in terms of the mysteries of light, part of that was the the idea coming from Poland and knowing the East, if you want, the other lung of the church. When you look at the icons of the Byzantines, whether they're Catholic Byzantines or Orthodox or uh, whatever of the 24 Oriental rites they might be, uh, they have icons that portray the transfiguration, the resurrection, the descent of the Holy Spirit, all of those that are imbued with light. Whereas in the Latin rite, we, send, we tend to have the negatives, the passion, the suffering, the coronation. But as Paul quite rightly says, were it not for the resurrection, our faith would be in vain. And so Pope John Paul wanted the Latin church to share in the richness of the East by introducing the theology of light. And as I said, the subtitle of my book, Fatima O Fatima, is that Fatima is a light shining on world history in order that we do not despair. You see, we are living in difficult times. God has allowed us to live in difficult times. It's a time of confusion. It's a time of fear. It's a time where we are not sure of who we are and where God is. But this is where trust comes. This is where grace is abounding. And we know from the great Augustine himself that when man cooperates with the grace of God, the marvels of history are worked. And the marvels of history are worked every day through the lives of the saints. There are many, many saints in the world today who constantly appeal to God for justice, for mercy, for the poor, for those who are dying. And so the number of people who will plead with God is greater than the evil that permeates in the societies of the world and the corruption of the world. The message of Fatima is a pathway to heaven. It is a pathway under the mantle and protection of Our Lady. It's not a fifth gospel, but it constitutes all the elements of the four gospels presented to us in utter simplicity through 20 distinct calls. The first is the call to believe. As we say in the creed, I believe in God. And so when we go down through the creed and we discover the 12 points of the creed, they all make absolute sense because our theology is based on reason and reasonableness. And this is why people don't like it. It's not complicated. We take it one step at a time in order to understand and this is why, at the end of the day, as Our Lady promised, when we keep the commandments, when we follow the 12 points of the creed, then her Immaculate Heart will be our refuge and the way that will lead us to God. And it's a, I can listen to the gospel, and for me, it can be a story, uh, as well as a call to participation in all the acts of mercy and faith that are contained therein. But what uh, the Fatima apparitions do is they call us to act and to pray and to participate in all of these. Um, you know, she told the children to pray the rosary. It's so interesting to me because we often think from a materialistic 21st century point of view, oh, how could God stand by and let bad things happen? I think that's a, 
objection we hear often, whereas as far as I understand it, I'd love for you to comment from God's point of view, you know, this world is more of a proving ground than anything else. And it, the suffering is real, but what God really wants to do is to get us to, to join in the great project as willing participants under his will. And this is a vehicle to do that. Yes. Well, you see, the problem is God never willed for humanity to suffer or to die. This was brought in by the devil. Mm -hmm. This was brought in at the great fall of Adam. You know, so we, we were never created to be sick or to die. We were created in the image and likeness of God. We were created and beamed with light. And that's why Adam had a great knowledge because he communed with God. But when he sinned through that first and original sin, it created a catastrophe that we can never recover from, but only with the grace that we receive, the grace of redemption, can we be saved through Christ. So we are no longer, in one sense, after death, sons of Adam, but sons of God. So in actual fact, there is a Felix culpa also in this, that we are called to something even higher than to be sons of Adam. By the way, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the church celebrates the feasts of Saints Adam and Eve <laughs> on the 24th of December. And by so doing, they confirmed that both Adam and Eve were also redeemed by Christ. That I did not know that, but I, that very much conforms to my to my feelings. Uh, in addition to praying the rosary daily for world peace, you also emphasize that there is a practice of the first five Saturdays. Uh, could you explain what that is? And is that something I can start any time? For example, the first Saturday of April, the first Saturday of May in June. Yeah, I think when we, we go back to the beginning uh, in Fatima, Our Lady asked for the consecration of Russia uh, and that conjunction, the five first Saturday devotions of reparation. The five first Saturday devotion is a devotion because of the outrages, blasphemies, sacrileges, profanities committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so uh, the five first Saturdays are in reparation to Our Lady. And she says, if what I ask is done, there will be peace. This would be on the first Saturday of each month for five months. She only asks for it once. And she promises eternal life. She asks that we go to uh, confession, pray the rosary, and keep her company for 15 minutes. Uh, in addition to uh, receiving Holy Communion, which is offered up in reparation to her. But I just want to say that it was Pope Pius X that instituted the devotion to the first 12 Saturday devotions granting a plenary indulgence and that was long before Fatima mm. so so uh, it was interesting that Our Lady asked for the five five is that prime number five because of the five major wounds of Christ and one very interesting uh, reason she gave was the failure of parents to hand on the faith to their children yeah, this is such a small thing to ask, uh, and yes. I think it's very 
easy for us today because our Saturday is often the day that confession is, is offered uh, at your local parish yes. with an eye towards Sunday. Um, and so this is something I look forward to doing doing myself and saying the rosary and taking my children to confession because uh, I'm very guilty of this, except for when they were preparing for first communion. Uh, I don't, I don't take my kids uh, to confession. I don't, I just, I haven't, I have been not very mindful. Uh, I know I have to go to confession. I'm very cognizant of my own sins and faults and deficiencies. As uh, your colleague, Robert Fastigi told me a month ago, we are all beggars and that I know. So I'm looking forward to doing this, these first five, um, Saturdays exactly as you recommend. And for yeah. me, it's interesting that over and over and over again, I see that um, as Catholic Christians, we are called to do very physical, tangible, concrete things. Often, you know, with, with uh, um, like we have holiness in the things we can do and touch uh, is sacraments and sacramentals, which gives us a way to participate in the, um, in, in the body of Christ. Yes, yes, that's right. You know, I often say about Lent, there's two ways of looking at it, the positive way and the negative way. The negative way is when Lent comes about and we're told to give things up. And uh, it might be the cup of coffee in the morning that keeps us awake. It mm -hmm. might be the ice cream on Sunday that uh, gives us a little something to look forward to or something like that. I always say to people, forget about giving things up. Take something on. Mm -hmm. uh, say an extra prayer, a memorare every day or every hour of every day. Say the rosary, say the grace before meals, teach somebody a prayer, be part of a prayer group for the duration, whatever. Write something, cheer somebody up, visit the sick, visit the homebound, whoever they are, take something on, forget about giving something up. And that way you practice charity. It's almost the small, the small act of charity getting, gains a little toehold in the soul or a, a beachhead. Uh, and we, we find that, that actually it, it filled me with joy to do such a thing. And maybe I'll do something a little bigger and something a little bigger. Yes. Yeah. How are you observing Lent? And maybe tell us a bit about your daily devotions in ordinary time. And, and what do you do uh, for Lent? I would love to hear. Well, well, basically, we have the morning prayers here in this house every morning uh, upon rising, usually around 7.30, 7 to 7.30. And then we go off to Mass. Uh, we have the choice of Mass in Latin, or we have the Mass in English with the Dominicans. The Dominican Rite is celebrated at 8, and the, the ordinary form is celebrated at 11. So depending on the schedule, if you want. Uh, so um, that would be the mass. The, then during the course of the morning, your morning prayer. My particular work at the moment is in finishing volume seven of the authentic series of Marian Shrines. Oh, excellent. Uh, volume two is just published. I'm working on volume seven. Uh, I have proofreaders here reading the other ones and so on. Uh, so basically, um, it's an intense uh, at this moment uh, to get these books out, to get people to read them, because I feel they're important. It's another way of getting the message uh, about Fatima, which is the most urgent and dramatic intervention from heaven since the Incarnation. It, for the first time, it tells us where humanity actually stands before God. 
in that God is already too much offended by our sins. Fatima, as I tried to explain, is both a school of Mary and a school of holiness because Fatima produces saints. And that's really what this life is all about. We're called to the heights of holiness. Uh, we're called to be saints because God didn't create us to be sterile and fruitless, but to do works worthy of conversion. And uh, in these great works, the grace is given. The talents that God gave us and gives us, especially in our baptism and confirmation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, enable us. And so if we are a Eucharistic people, we are called to mission. And in the normal run of the mill, I would be lecturing at this time in Florida at Ave Maria University, or I would be in Chicago at the Marion Institute, or I would be teaching at Newman College here in Ireland, or I might be in Fatima. Again, all of these places and things have been suspended because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, devoting my time to writing and to research. I have a couple of books I want to do. One is on the kingship of Christ. Uh, so I'm uh, collecting a library. I'm trying to finish my second doctorate at the Regina Apostolorum. And I'm doing other uh, writings and so on and so forth, collecting data. So uh, lunch then at one o'clock, uh, followed by a little siesta, or what we call here a horizontal meditation, uh, <laughs> and then, and then uh, uh, evening prayer at five. I generally go for a walk along the seashore, uh, and um, I like that very much, and then followed by dinner at 7.30, and then after that, I watch uh, a little comedy on TV before night prayer. Uh, I always feel that I need to unwind because I'm like one of these coils, you know? Mm -hmm. the, the work is so intense. Uh, I, I'm either in touch with people in Rome at the Pontifical Academy or the Apostolic Nuncio here or some of the bishops. Uh, you know, there's always something dramatic that happens. And uh, today is no exception. What has your study of the... Uh, Marian shrines, what has what have you learned? How many are there in the world and what kind of miracles do you see all the time in your work? Well, Our Lady intervenes in the course of human history to orientate people towards a particular devotion. Uh, and there may be reasons for that particular devotion that we have yet to understand. My work then is to orientate people towards authentic marriage shrines, uh, away from uh, those other places that you could get lost in. You have answered all my questions, but are there other topics that I should ask you that I have not thought of that you'd like to, to say before we... Before well, we I, as I said, I've written uh, 20, over 20 books. I have the mystics of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the mystics of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I have one called Catholic Devotions of the Month. So there are 12 major devotions. Uh, it's a lovely little book. It's about 20 bucks. You can have it as a soft cover or hard cover. There's a very interesting book I wrote called On Catholic Things You Should Know. And there, in that book, there are 255 dogmas 
that the church says we ought to believe. I remember talking to Pope Benedict one time and said, you know, this silent apostasy where people are waking up, they're no longer going to Mass. He said to me, they don't understand the Mass. Mm -hmm. So in this book on Catholic things you should know, we have, uh, uh, I've put together a hundred fruits of the Mass. In other words, we, given our nature, we want to know what do we get out of it? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a hundred fruits and they're worthy of understanding. There are many other aspects in that book too, as you probably well know. Um, You know, the the use of incense, why do we use it and Mm. so on. Various other sacramentals and so on. So uh, there's lots to read and lots to learn. And I think we, we should consider ourselves to be perpetual students so I have one one other little book I, I might mention. I won't mention them all. Uh, there's please, a please, yes. Course, but uh, this one is the introduction to Mariology. Mm. And what it does is it shows you the predestination of Mary from Genesis 3.15 and the typology of Mary throughout the entire Old Testament through the 27 matriarchs, of which 13 of them are major. And how they somehow or other, looking back, would show that she is prefigured. And this is something of what she will become. And one of the greatest prefigured uh, images of Our Lady is Queen Esther. Ah. And if anybody would like to know how she is prefigured, I won't tell you just now because of time restraints, but I would say read the book of Esther. And in Queen Esther, you'll see Our Lady as a prefigured person who comes into the world to save her people. I think it's a very beautiful image. And, uh, and this is how God works. He works through mystery yes. that we are left to discern and to study and to ponder the wonders of God. Yes. Well, wonderful. Well, in that case, we'll, we'll leave it there. Our listeners should search uh, for, for your name, uh, William A. Thomas, and yes. they will find all of these all of these books on Amazon or other places. Um, and I thank you so much for your time well, today. What about the joke? Oh yes, do you have a joke to share? I have a joke, and the yes. joke is: I went to. I hope you know your geography and the cities of of France. Mm. Uh, there is a city called Toulon. Have you okay. heard of that? I have heard of it. And Toulouse. Yes, which are two different places. Two different places. Yes. So the story is I went to France and I was down in the south going to an ordination of a priest. And I said, well, I look like a tramp, so I better buy a new suit. (laughs) So I I went off to a tailor's and bought a suit and went back to the convent where I was staying. And the suit was like a sack. It was dreadful. And so uh, very uncomfortable. And so I brought it back to the tailor and I said, there's something wrong with this suit. So he investigated. He looked at the pants and he looked at the jacket and he said, oh, monsieur, I see the problem here. And I said, well, what is it? (laughs) He said, he says, the suit is made in two different cities. I said, really? He said, yes, the pants are made in too long. And the jacket is made in Toulouse. (laughs) (laughs) 
There we are. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Okay. So God bless you and God bless all your listeners. I wish you all the best. I pray for peace in your home, in your family. I pray like St. Augustine, uh, who writes, I think it's letter number 57 to Ferba, who was a very wealthy lady of standing. She had two sons who were proconsuls to the emperor. And she wrote to Augustine, she said, what should a lady like of means, like myself, what should I pray for? And Augustine says, and this is my prayer for you. We pray for two things. Pray that you be happy. And mm. pray for friends, because friends are a gift of God. Amen. Amen. And we will pray for world peace and we will pray that it starts in our hearts and in our families and in our communities and finally across the whole, the whole troubled world. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son. So we invoke Our Lady, her Immaculate Heart, Our Lady of the Rosary of Fatima, and we ask her prayer and intercession before her Divine Son to bless each and every one of us, to bless the world and grant it the gift of peace, to banish from governance all the evil people who hate God, who hate Christ, who hate the workings of the Holy Spirit, who are out to destroy, mislead, and destroy the church. We pray that the triumph of her Immaculate Heart comes, and comes soon, for we long to love God with our whole hearts, souls, and minds, and in an environment where we can practice that faith freely. So we pray to her through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing.